Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility, Jane Austen's timeless tale of the Dashwood sisters set in Regency-era England. This is the 12th title in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. If this is your first time with us, you can find all the other novels in our series, plus new episodes, at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads Sense and Sensibility. Chapter 27 If this open weather holds much longer, said Mrs. Jennings, when they met at breakfast the following morning, Sir John will not like leaving Barton next week. Tis a sad thing for sportsmen to lose a day's pleasure. Poor souls! I always pity them when they do. They seem to take it so much to heart. Oh, that is true, cried Marianne, in a cheerful voice, and walking to the window as she spoke, to examine the day. I had not thought of that. This weather will keep many sportsmen in the country. It was a lucky recollection. All her good spirits were restored by it. It is charming weather for them indeed, she continued, as she sat down to the breakfast table with a happy countenance. How much they must enjoy it! But, with a little return of anxiety... It cannot be expected to last long. At this time of the year, and after such a series of rain, we shall certainly have very little more of it. Frosts will soon set in, and in all probability with severity. In another day or two, perhaps, this extreme mildness can hardly last longer. Nay, perhaps it may freeze to-night. At any rate, said Eleanor, wishing to prevent Mrs. Jennings from seeing her sister's thoughts as clearly as she did. I dare say we shall have Sir John and Lady Middleton in town by the end of next week. Aye, my dear, I warrant you we do. Mary always has her own way. And now, silently conjectured Eleanor, she will write to Coombe by this day's post. But if she did, The letter was written and sent away with a privacy which eluded all her watchfulness to ascertain the fact, whatever the truth of it might be, and far as Eleanor was from feeling thorough contentment about it, yet while she saw Marianne in spirits, she could not be very uncomfortable herself. And Marianne was in spirits, happy in the mildness of the weather, and still happier in her expectation of a frost. The morning was chiefly spent in leaving cards at the houses of Mrs. Jennings' acquaintance to inform them of her being in town, and Marianne was all the time busy in observing the direction of the wind, watching the variations of the sky, and imagining an alteration in the air. "'Don't you find it colder than it was in the morning, Eleanor? "'There seems to me a very decided difference. "'I can hardly keep my hands warm even in my muff. "'It was not so yesterday, I think. "'The clouds seem parting, too. "'The sun will be out in a moment, and we shall have a clear afternoon.' "'Eleanor was alternately diverted and pained, "'but Marianne persevered and saw every night in the brightness of the fire "'and every morning in the appearance of the atmosphere "'the certain symptoms of approaching frost. "'The Miss Dashwoods had no greater reason to be dissatisfied "'with Mrs. Jennings' style of living and set of acquaintance "'than with her behaviour to themselves, "'which was invariably kind.' Everything in her household arrangements was conducted on the most liberal plan, 
and excepting a few old city friends, whom, to Lady Middleton's regret, she had never dropped, she visited no one to whom an introduction could at all discompose the feelings of her young companions. Pleased to find herself more comfortably situated in that particular than she had expected, Eleanor was very willing to compound for the want of much real enjoyment from any of their evening parties, which, whether at home or abroad, formed only for cards, could have little to amuse her. Colonel Brandon, who had a general invitation to the house, was with them almost every day. He came to look at Marianne and talk to Eleanor, who often derived more satisfaction from conversing with him than from any other daily occurrence, but who saw at the same time, with much concern, his continued regard for her sister. She feared it was a strengthening regard. It grieved her to see the earnestness with which he often watched Marianne, and his spirits were certainly worse than when at Barton. About a week after their arrival, it became certain that Willoughby was also arrived. His card was on the table when they came in from the morning's drive. "'Good God!' cried Marianne. "'He has been here while we were out!' Oh! Eleanor rejoiced to be assured of his being in London. Now ventured to say, "'Depend upon it. He will call again tomorrow.' But Marianne seemed hardly to hear her, and on Mrs. Jennings' entrance escaped with the precious card. This event, while it raised the spirits of Eleanor, restored to those of her sister all, and more than all, their former agitation. From this moment, her mind was never quiet. The expectation of seeing him every hour of the day made her unfit for anything. She insisted on being left behind the next morning when the others went out. Eleanor's thoughts were full of what might be passing in Berkeley Street during their absence, but a moment's glance at her sister when they returned was enough to inform her that Willoughby had paid no second visit there. A note was just then brought in and laid on the table. "'For me!' cried Marianne, stepping hastily forward. "'No, ma'am, for my mistress.' But Marianne, not convinced, took it instantly up. It is indeed for Mrs. Jennings. Oh, how provoking! You are expecting a letter, then? said Eleanor, unable to be longer silent. Yes, a little, not much. After a short pause, you have no confidence in me, Maria. Oh, nay, Eleanor, this reproach from you, you who have... "'Nay, Eleanor, this reproach from you, you who have confidence in no one?' "'Me?' returned Eleanor in some confusion. "'Indeed, Marianne, I have nothing to tell.' "'Nor I,' answered Marianne with energy. "'Our situations, then, are alike. "'We have neither of us anything to tell. "'You because you do not communicate, and I because I conceal nothing.' "'Eleanor.' Distressed by this charge of reserve in herself, which she was not at liberty to do away, knew not how, under such circumstances, to press for greater openness in Marianne. Mrs. Jennings soon appeared, and the note being given her, she read it aloud. It was from Lady Middleton, announcing their arrival in Conduit Street the night before, and requesting the company of her mother and cousins the following evening. 
Business on Sir John's part, and a violent cold on her own, prevented their calling in Barclay Street. The invitation was accepted. But when the hour of appointment drew near, necessary as it was in common civility to Mrs. Jennings, that they should both attend her on such a visit, Eleanor had some difficulty in persuading her sister to go. For still, she had seen nothing of Willoughby and therefore was not more indisposed for amusement abroad than unwilling to run the risk of his calling again in her absence. Eleanor found, when the evening was over, that disposition is not materially altered by a change of abode, for, although scarcely settled in town, Sir John had contrived to collect around him nearly twenty young people and to amuse them with a ball. This was an affair, however, of which Lady Middleton did not approve. In the country, an unpremeditated dance was very allowable. But in London, where the reputation of elegance was more important and less easily attained, it was risking too much for the gratification of a few girls to have it known that Lady Middleton had given a small dance of eight or nine couple with two violins and a mere sideboard collation. Mr. and Mrs. Palmer were of the party, from the former whom they had not seen since before their arrival in town, as he was careful to avoid the appearance of any attention to his mother-in-law, and therefore never came near her, they received no mark of recognition on their entrance. He looked at them slightly, without seeming to know who they were, and merely nodded to Mrs. Jennings from the other side of the room. Marianne gave one glance around the apartment as she entered. It was enough. He was not there, and she sat down, equally ill-disposed to receive or communicate pleasure. After they had been assembled about an hour, Mr. Palmer sauntered towards the Miss Dashwoods to express his surprise on seeing them in town, though Colonel Brandon had been first informed of their arrival at his house, and he had himself said something very droll on hearing that they were to come. "'I thought you were both in Devonshire,' said he. "'Did you?' replied Eleanor. "'When do you go back again?' "'I do not know.' And thus ended their discourse. Never had Marianne been so unwilling to dance in her life as she was that evening, and never so much fatigued by the exercise. She complained of it as they returned to Berkeley Street. "'Aye, aye,' said Mrs. Jennings, "'we know the reason of all that very well. "'If a certain person, who shall be nameless, had been there, "'you would not have been a bit tired. "'And to say the truth, it was not very pretty of him "'not to give you the meeting when he was invited.' "'Invited?' cried Marianne. "'So my daughter Middleton told me, "'for it seems Sir John met him somewhere in the street this morning.' Marianne said no more, but looked exceedingly hurt. Impatient in this situation to be doing something that might lead to her sister's relief, Eleanor resolved to write the next morning to her mother, and hoped, by awakening her fears for the health of Marianne, to procure those inquiries which had been so long delayed, and she was still more eagerly bent on this measure by perceiving after breakfast on the morrow that Marianne was again writing to Willoughby, for she could not suppose it to be any other person. About the middle of the day, 
Mrs. Jennings went out by herself on business, and Eleanor began her letter directly, while Mary Anne, too restless for employment, too anxious for conversation, walked from one window to the other, or sat down by the fire in melancholy meditation. Eleanor was very earnest in her application to her mother, relating all that had passed, her suspicions of Willoughby's inconstancy, urging her by every plea of duty and affection to demand from Marianne an account of her real situation with respect to him. Her letter was scarcely finished when a rap foretold a visitor, and Colonel Brandon was announced. Marianne, who had seen him from the window and who hated company of any kind, left the room before he entered it. He looked more than usually grave, and though expressing satisfaction at finding Miss Dashwood alone, as if he had somewhat in particular to tell her, sat for some time without saying a word. Eleanor, persuaded that he had some communication to make in which her sister was concerned, impatiently expected its opening. It was not the first time of her feeling the same kind of conviction, for more than once before, beginning with the observation of, "'Your sister looks unwell today,' or "'Your sister seems out of spirits,' he had appeared on the point either of disclosing or of inquiring something particular about her. After a pause of several minutes, their silence was broken by his asking her in a voice of some agitation when he was to congratulate her on the acquisition of a brother." Eleanor was not prepared for such a question, and having no answer ready, was obliged to adopt the simple and common expedient of asking what he meant. He tried to smile as he replied, "'Your sister's engagement to Mr. Willoughby is very generally known.' "'It cannot be generally known,' returned Eleanor, "'for her own family do not know it.' He looked surprised and said, I, I beg your pardon. I'm, I'm afraid my inquiry has been impertinent, but I had not supposed any secrecy intended, as they openly correspond, and their marriage is universally talked of. How can that be? By whom can you have heard it mentioned? By many, by some of whom you know nothing, by others with whom you are most intimate. Mrs. Jennings, Mrs. Palmer, and the Middletons. But— Still, I might not have believed it, for where the mind is perhaps rather unwilling to be convinced, it will always find something to support its doubts. If I had not, when the servant let me in today, accidentally seen a letter in his hand directed to Mr. Willoughby in your sister's writing, I came to inquire, but I was convinced before I could ask the question, is... Is everything finally settled? Is it impossible to... But uh, I have no right, and I could have no chance of succeeding. Excuse me, Miss Dashwood. I believe I have been wrong in saying so much, but I hardly know what to do, and on your prudence I have the strongest dependence. Tell me that it is all absolutely resolved on, that any attempt, that in short concealment, if concealment be possible, is all that remains. These words, which conveyed to Eleanor a direct avowal of his love for her sister, affected her very much. She was not immediately able to say anything, 
and even when her spirits were recovered, she debated for a short time on the answer it would be most proper to give. The real state of things between Willoughby and her sister was so little known to herself that endeavouring to explain it, she might be as liable to say too much as too little. Yet, as she was convinced that Marianne's affection for Willoughby could leave no hope of Colonel Brandon's success, whatever the event of that affection might be, and at the same time wished to shield her conduct from censure, she thought it most prudent and kind, after some consideration, to say more than she really knew or believed. She acknowledged, therefore, that though she had never been informed by themselves of the terms on which they stood with each other, of their mutual affection she had no doubt, and of their correspondence she was not astonished to hear. He listened to her with silent attention, and on her ceasing to speak, rose directly from his seat, and after saying, in a voice of emotion, "'Do your sister, I wish all imaginable happiness, to Willoughby that he may endeavour to, to deserve her.' Then he took his leave, and went away. Eleanor derived no comfortable feelings from this conversation to lessen the uneasiness of her mind on other points. She was left, on the contrary, with a melancholy impression of Colonel Brandon's unhappiness, and was prevented even from wishing it removed by her anxiety for the very event that must confirm it. Chapter 28 Nothing occurred during the next three or four days to make Eleanor regret what she had done in applying to her mother. Why, Willoughby neither came nor wrote. They were engaged about the end of that time to attend Lady Middleton to a party from which Mrs. Jennings was kept away by the indisposition of her youngest daughter. And for this party, Marianne, wholly dispirited, careless of her appearance, and seeming equally indifferent whether she went or stayed, prepared without one look of hope or one expression of pleasure. She sat by the drawing-room fire after tea till the moment of Lady Middleton's arrival, without once stirring from her seat or altering her attitude, lost in her own thoughts and insensible of her sister's presence. And when at last they were told that Lady Middleton waited for them at the door, she started as if she had forgotten that anyone was expected. They arrived in due time at the place of destination, and as soon as the string of carriages before them would allow, alighted, ascended the stairs, heard their names announced from one landing place to another in an audible voice, and entered a room splendidly lit up, quite full of company, and insufferably hot. When they had paid their tribute of politeness by curtsying to the lady of the house, they were permitted to mingle in the crowd and take their share of the heat and inconvenience to which their arrival must necessarily add. After some time spent in saying little and doing less, Lady Middleton sat down to casino, and as Marianne was not in spirits for moving about, she and Eleanor, luckily succeeding to chairs, placed themselves at no great distance from the table. They had not remained in this manner long before Eleanor perceived Willoughby, standing within a few yards of them in earnest conversation with a very fashionable-looking young woman. She soon caught his eye, and he immediately bowed, 
but without attempting to speak to her or to approach Marianne, though he could not but see her, and then continued his discourse with the same lady. Eleanor turned involuntarily to Marianne to see whether it could be unobserved by her. At that moment, she first perceived him, and her whole countenance, glowing with sudden delight, she would have moved towards him instantly had not her sister caught hold of her. Good heavens, she exclaimed, he's here, he's there, oh, 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 why does he not look at me? Why cannot I speak to him? Pray, pray be composed, cried Eleanor, and do not betray what you feel to everybody present. Perhaps he has not observed you yet. This, however, was more than she could believe herself, and to be composed at such a moment was not only beyond the reach of Marianne, it was beyond her wish. She sat in an agony of impatience which affected every feature. At last, he turned round again, and regarded them both. She started up, and pronouncing his name in a tone of affection, held out her hand to him. He approached, and addressing himself rather to Eleanor than Marianne, as if wishing to avoid her eye, and determined not to observe her attitude, inquired in a hurried manner after Mrs. Dashwood, and asked how long they had been in town. Eleanor was robbed of all presence of mind by such an address, and was unable to say a word. But the feelings of her sister were instantly expressed. Her face was crimsoned over, and she exclaimed, in a voice of the greatest emotion, "'Good God, Willoughby! What is the meaning of this? Have you not received my letters? Will you not shake hands with me?' He could not then avoid it. But her touch seemed painful to him, and he held her hand only for a moment. During all this time, he was evidently struggling for composure. Eleanor watched his countenance and saw its expression becoming more tranquil. After a moment's pause, he spoke with calmness. I did myself the honour of calling in Barclay Street last Tuesday, and very much regretted that I was not fortunate enough to find yourselves and Mrs. Jennings at home. My card was not lost, I hope. But have you not received my notes? cried Marianne, in the wildest anxiety. Here is some mistake, I am sure, some, some dreadful mistake. What can be the meaning of it? Tell me, Willoughby, for heaven's sakes, tell me. "'What is the matter?' He made no reply. His complexion changed, and all his embarrassment returned, but as if on catching the eye of the young lady with whom he had been previously talking, he felt the necessity of instant exertion. He recovered himself again, and after saying, "'Yes, I had the pleasure of receiving the information of your arrival in town, which you were so good as to send me,' turned hastily away." with a slight bow, and joined his friend. Marianne, now looking dreadfully white and unable to stand, sunk into her chair, and Eleanor, expecting every moment to see her faint, tried to screen her from the observation of others while reviving her with lavender water. "'Go to him, Eleanor,' she cried, as soon as she could speak, "'and force him to come to me. Tell him I must see him again.' "'Must speak to him instantly. "'I cannot rest. 
I shall not have a moment's peace till this is explained. Some dreadful misapprehension or a... Oh, go to him this moment. How can that be done? No, my dearest Marianne, you must wait. This is not the place for explanations. Wait only until tomorrow. With difficulty, however, could she prevent her from following him herself, and to persuade her to check her agitation, to wait at least with the appearance of composure, till she might speak to him with more privacy and more effect, was impossible. For Marianne continued incessantly to give way in a low voice to the misery of her feelings by exclamations of wretchedness. In a short time, Eleanor saw Willoughby quit the room by the door towards the staircase, and, telling Marianne that he was gone, urged the impossibility of speaking to him again that evening as a fresh argument for her to be calm. She instantly begged her sister would entreat Lady Middleton to take them home, as she was too miserable to stay a minute longer. Lady Middleton, though in the middle of a rubber on being informed that Marianne was unwell, was too polite to object for a moment to her wish of going away, and making over her cards to a friend, they departed as soon as the carriage could be found. Scarcely a word was spoken during their return to Berkeley Street. Marianne was in a silent agony, too much oppressed even for tears. But as Mrs. Jennings was luckily not come home, they could go directly to their own room, where Hartshorn restored her a little to herself. She was soon undressed and in bed, and as she seemed desirous of being alone, her sister then left her and while she waited the return of Mrs. Jennings, had leisure enough for thinking over the past. That some kind of engagement had subsisted between Willoughby and Marianne, she could not doubt, and that Willoughby was weary of it seemed equally clear, for however Marianne might still feed her own wishes, she could not attribute such behavior to mistake or misapprehension of any kind. Nothing but a thorough change of sentiment could account for it. Her indignation would have been still stronger than it was had she not witnessed that embarrassment which seemed to speak a consciousness of his own misconduct and prevented her from believing him so unprincipled as to have been sporting with the affections of her sister from the first, without any design that would bear investigation. Absence might have weakened his regard." and convenience might have determined him to overcome it. But that such a regard had formerly existed, she could not bring herself to doubt. As for Marianne, on the pangs which so unhappy a meeting must already have given her, and on those still more severe which might await her in its probable consequence, she could not reflect without the deepest concern. Her own situation gained in the comparison. For a while she could esteem Edward as much as ever, however they might be divided in future. Her mind might be always supported. But every circumstance that could embitter such an evil seemed uniting to heighten the misery of Marianne in a final separation from Willoughby, in an immediate and irreconcilable rupture with him. Chapter 29 
Before the housemate had lit their fire the next day, or the sun gained any power over a cold, gloomy morning in January, Marianne, only half-dressed, was kneeling against one of the window-seats for the sake of all the little light she could command from it, and writing as fast as a continual flow of tears would permit her. In this situation, Eleanor, roused from sleep by her agitation and sobs, first perceived her— and after observing her for a few moments with silent anxiety, said in a tone of the most considerate gentleness, Marianne, may I ask? No, no, Eleanor, she replied. Ask nothing. You will soon know all. The sort of desperate calmness with which this was said lasted no longer than while she spoke, and was immediately followed by a return of the same excessive affliction. It was some minutes before she could go on with her letter, and the frequent bursts of grief which still obliged her at intervals to withhold her pen were proofs enough of her feeling how more than probable it was that she was writing for the last time to Willoughby. Eleanor paid her every quiet and unobtrusive attention in her power and she would have tried to soothe and tranquilize her still more had not Marianne entreated her, with all the eagerness of the most nervous irritability, not to speak to her for the world. In such circumstances, it was better for both that they should not be long together, and the restless state of Marianne's mind not only prevented her from remaining in the room a moment after she was dressed, but requiring at once solitude and continual change of place, made her wander about the house till breakfast time, avoiding the sight of everybody. At breakfast she neither ate nor attempted to eat anything and Eleanor's attention was then all employed, not in urging her, not in pitying her, nor in appearing to regard her, but in endeavouring to engage Mrs. Jennings' notice entirely to herself. As this was a favourite meal with Mrs. Jennings, it lasted a considerable time, and they were just setting themselves after it round the common working-table when a letter was delivered to Marianne, which he eagerly caught from the servant, and, turning of a death-like paleness, instantly ran out of the room. Eleanor, who saw as plainly by this, as if she had seen the direction, that it must have come from Willoughby, felt immediately such a sickness at heart as made her hardly able to hold up her head, and sat in such a general tremor as made her fear it impossible to escape Mrs. Jennings' notice. That good lady, however, saw only that Marianne had received a letter from Willoughby, which appeared to her a very good joke, and which she treated accordingly by hoping with a laugh that she would find it to her liking." Of Eleanor's distress, she was too busily employed in measuring lengths of worsted for her rug to see anything at all, and calmly continuing her talk, as soon as Marianne disappeared, she said, "'Upon my word, I never saw such a young woman so desperately in love in my life. My girls were nothing to her, and yet they used to be foolish enough. But as for this Marianne, she is quite an altered creature.' I hope from the bottom of my heart he won't keep her waiting much longer, for it is quite grievous to see her look so ill and forlorn. Pray, when are they to be married? Eleanor, 
though never less disposed to speak than at that moment, obliged herself to answer such an attack as this, and therefore, trying to smile, replied, "'And have you really, ma'am, talked yourself into a persuasion of my sister's being engaged to Mr. Willoughby?' I thought it had been only a joke, but so serious a question seems to imply more, and I must beg, therefore, that you will not deceive yourself any longer. I do assure you that nothing would surprise me more than to hear of their being going to be married. For shame, for shame, Miss Dashwood, how can you talk so? Don't we all know that it must be a match, that they were over head and ears in love with each other from the first moment they met? Did not I see them together in Devonshire every day and all day long? And did not I know that your sister came to town with me on purpose to buy wedding clothes? Come, come, this won't do. Because you are so sly about it yourself, you think nobody else has any senses. But it is no such thing, I can tell you, for it has been known all over town this ever so long. I tell everybody of it, and so does Charlotte. Indeed, ma'am, said Eleanor, very seriously, you are mistaken. Indeed, you are doing a very unkind thing in spreading the report, and you will find that you have, though you will not believe me now. Mrs. Jennings laughed again, but Eleanor had not spirits to say more, and eager at all events to know what Willoughby had written, hurried away to their room, where, on opening the door, she saw Marianne stretched on their bed, almost choked by grief. One letter in her hand, and two or three others laying by her. Eleanor drew near, but without saying a word, and seating herself on the bed, took her hand kissed her affectionately several times, and then gave way to a burst of tears, which at first was scarcely less violent than Marianne's. The latter, though unable to speak, seemed to feel all the tenderness of this behavior, and after some time thus spent in joint affliction, she put all the letters into Eleanor's hands, and then, covering her face with her handkerchief, almost screamed with agony. Eleanor, who knew that such grief, shocking as it was to witness it, must have its course, watched by her till this excess of suffering had somewhat spent itself, and then, turning eagerly to Willoughby's letter, read as follows. Bond Street, January. My dear madam, I have just had the honour of receiving your letter, for which I beg to return my sincere acknowledgments. I am much concerned to find there was anything in my behaviour last night that did not meet your approbation, and though I am quite at a loss to discover in what point I could be so unfortunate as to offend you, I entreat your forgiveness of what I can assure you to have been perfectly unintentional." I shall never reflect on my former acquaintance with your family in Devonshire without the most grateful pleasure, and flatter myself it will not be broken by any mistake or misapprehension of my actions. My esteem for your whole family is very sincere, but if I have been so unfortunate as to give rise to a belief of more than I felt or meant to express— I shall reproach myself for not having been more guarded in my professions of that esteem. That I should ever have meant more, you will allow to be impossible, 
when you understand that my affections have been long engaged elsewhere, and it will not be many weeks, I believe, before this engagement is fulfilled. It is with great regret that I obey your commands in returning the letters with which I have been honoured from you, and the lock of hair which you so obligingly bestowed on me. I am, dear madam, your most obedient, humble servant, John Willoughby. With what indignation such a letter as this must be read by Miss Dashwood may be imagined. Though aware before she began it that it must bring a confession of his inconstancy and confirm their separation for ever, she was not aware that such language could be suffered to announce it nor could she have supposed Willoughby capable of departing so far from the appearance of every honourable and delicate feeling, so far from the common decorum of a gentleman as to send a letter so impudently cruel, a letter which instead of bringing with his desire of a release any professions of regret, acknowledged no breach of faith, denied all peculiar affection whatever, a letter of which every line was an insult, and which proclaimed its writer to be deep in hardened villainy. She paused over it for some time, with indignant astonishment, then read it again and again, but every perusal only served to increase her abhorrence of the man, and so bitter were her feelings against him that she dared not trust herself to speak lest she might wound Marianne still deeper by treating their disengagement not as a loss to her of any possible good, but as an escape from the worst and most irremediable of all evils, a connection for life with an unprincipled man as a deliverance the most real, a blessing the most important. In her earnest meditations on the contents of the letter, on the depravity of that mind which could dictate it, and probably on the very different mind of a very different person, who had no other connection whatever with the affair than what her heart gave him with everything that passed. Eleanor forgot the immediate distress of her sister, forgot that she had three letters on her lap yet unread, and so entirely forgot how long she had been in the room, that when on hearing a carriage drive up to the door, she went to the window to see who could be coming so unreasonably early. She was all astonishment to perceive Mrs. Jennings' chariot, which she knew had not been ordered till one. Determined not to quit Marianne, though hopeless of contributing at present to her ease, she hurried away to excuse herself from attending Mrs. Jennings on account of her sister being indisposed. Mrs. Jennings, with a thoroughly good-humoured concern for its cause, admitted the excuse most readily, and Eleanor, after seeing her safe off, returned to Marianne, whom she found attempting to rise from the bed, and whom she reached just in time to prevent her from falling on the floor, faint and giddy, from a long want of proper rest and food, for it was many days since she had had any appetite and many nights since she had really slept. And now, when her mind was no longer supported by the fever of suspense, the consequence of all this was felt in an aching head, a weakened stomach, and a general nervous faintness. 
A glass of wine, which Eleanor procured for her directly, made her more comfortable, and she was at last able to express some sense of her kindness by saying, "'Poor Aunt Eleanor, how unhappy I make you!' "'I only wish,' replied her sister, "'there were anything I could do which might be of comfort to you. "'This, as everything else would have been, was too much for Marianne, "'who could only exclaim in the anguish of her heart, "'Oh, Eleanor, I, I am miserable indeed!' "'Before her voice was entirely lost in sobs. "'Eleanor could no longer witness this torrent of unresisted grief in silence.' Exert yourself, dear Marianne, if you would not kill yourself and all who love you. Think of your mother, think of her misery while you suffer. For her sake, you must exert yourself. I cannot, I cannot, cried Marianne. Oh, leave me, leave me, if I distress you. Leave me, hate me, forget me, but do not torture me so. Oh, how easy for those who have no sorrow of their own to talk of exertion. "'Happy, happy, Eleanor. "'You cannot have any idea of what I suffer. "'Do you call me happy, Marianne? "'Oh, if you knew, if you knew. "'And how can you believe me to be so, "'while I see you so wretched? "'Forgive me, forgive me.' "'Throwing her arms round her sister's neck. "'I know you feel for me. "'I know what heart you have. "'But yet you are.' You, you must be happy. Edward loves you. What, oh, what can do away such happiness as that? Many, many circumstances, said Eleanor solemnly. No, no, cried Marianne wildly. He loves you, and only you. You can have no grief. I can have no pleasure while I see you in this state, and you will never see me otherwise. Oh, "'Mine is a misery which nothing can do away. "'You must not talk so, Marianne. "'Have you no comforts, no friends? "'Is your loss such as leaves no opening for consolation? "'Much as you suffer now, think of what you would have suffered "'if the discovery of his character had been delayed to a later period. "'If your engagement had been carried on for months and months, "'as it might have been, before he chose to put an end to it.' Every additional day of unhappy confidence on your side would have made the blow more dreadful. Engagement, cried Marianne. There has been no engagement. No engagement? No. He is not so unworthy as you believe him. He has broken no faith with me. But he told you that he loved you. Yes. No. No. no ne never absolutely. It, it was every day implied, but never professedly declared. Sometimes I thought it had been, but it never was. Yet you wrote to him. Yes, could that be wrong after all that had passed? But uh, I cannot talk. Eleanor said no more, and turning again to the three letters, which now raised a much stronger curiosity than before, directly ran over the contents of all. The first, which was what her sister had sent him on their arrival in town, was to this effect. Barclay Street, January. How surprised you will be, Willoughby, on receiving this, and I think you will feel something more than surprise when you know that I am in town. An opportunity of coming hither 
though with Mrs. Jennings, was a temptation we could not resist. I wish you may receive this in time to come here tonight, but I will not depend on it. At any rate, I shall expect you tomorrow. For the present, adieu. M.D. Her second note, which had been written on the morning after the dance at the Middletons, was in these words. I cannot express my disappointment in having missed you the day before yesterday, nor my astonishment at not having received any answer to a note which I sent you above a week ago. I have been expecting to hear from you, and still more to see you, every hour of the day. Pray call again as soon as possible, and explain the reason of my having expected this in vain. You had better come earlier another time, because we are generally out by one. We were last night at Lady Middleton's, where there was the dance. I have been told that you were asked to be of the party. But could it be so? You must be very much altered indeed since we parted, if that could be the case, and you not there. But I will not suppose this possible, and I hope very soon to receive your personal assurance of it being otherwise. M.D. The contents of her last note to him were these. What am I to imagine, Willoughby, by your behaviour last night? Again I demand an explanation of it. I was prepared to meet you with the pleasure which our separation naturally produced, with the familiarity which our intimacy at Barton appeared to me to justify. I was repulsed indeed. I have passed a wretched night in endeavouring to excuse a conduct which can scarcely be called less than insulting. But though I have not yet been able to form any reasonable apology for your behaviour, I am perfectly ready to hear your justification of it. You have perhaps been misinformed, or purposely deceived in something concerning me, which may have lowered me in your opinion. Tell me what it is, explain the grounds on which you acted, and I shall be satisfied in being able to satisfy you. It would grieve me indeed to be obliged to think ill of you. But if I am to do it, if I am to learn that you are not what we have hitherto believed you, that your regard for us all was insincere, that your behaviour to me was intended only to deceive, let it be told as soon as possible. My feelings are at present in a state of dreadful indecision. I wish to acquit you, but certainty on either side will be ease to what I now suffer." If your sentiments are no longer what they were, you will return my notes and the lock of my hair, which is in your possession. That such letters, so full of affection and confidence, could have been so answered, Eleanor, for Willoughby's sake, would have been unwilling to believe. But her condemnation of him did not blind her to the impropriety of their having been written at all and she was silently grieving over the imprudence which had hazarded such unsolicited proofs of tenderness, not warranted by anything preceding, and most severely condemned by the event, when Marianne, perceiving that she had finished the letters, observed to her that they contained nothing but what anyone would have written in the same situation. "'I felt myself,' she added, to be as solemnly engaged to him, as if the strictest legal covenant had bound us to each other. I can believe it, said Eleanor, but unfortunately he did not feel the same. 
He did feel the same, Eleanor. For weeks and weeks he felt it. I know he did. Whatever may have changed him now, and nothing but the blackest art employed against me could have done it. I was once as dear to him as my own soul could wish. This lock of hair, which now he can so readily give up, was begged of me with the most earnest supplication. Had you seen his look, his manner, had you read his voice, had you heard his voice at that moment, have you forgot the last evening of our being together at Barton, the morning that we parted, too, when he told me that it might be many weeks before we met again, his distress? Can I ever forget his distress? For a moment or two, she could say no more. But when this emotion had passed away, she added in a firmer tone, Eleanor, I have been cruelly used, but not by Willoughby. Dearest Marianne, who but himself? By whom can he have been instigated? By all the world, rather than by his own heart. I could rather believe every creature of my acquaintance leagued together to ruin me in his opinion than believe his nature capable of such cruelty. This woman of whom he writes, whoever she be, or any one in short but your own dear self, Mamma and Edward, may have been so barbarous to belie me. Beyond you three, is there a creature in the world whom I would not rather suspect of evil than Willoughby, whose heart I know so well? Eleanor would not contend, and only replied, Whoever may have been so detestably your enemy, let them be cheated of their malignant triumph, my dear sister, by seeing how nobly the consciousness of your own innocence and good intentions supports your spirit. It is a reasonable and laudable pride which resists such malevolence. No, no, cried Marianne. Misery such as mine has no pride. I care not who knows that I am wretched. The triumph of seeing me so may be open to all the world, Eleanor. Eleanor, they who suffer little may be proud and independent as they like, may resist insult or return mortification. But I cannot, I must feel, I must be wretched, and they are welcome to enjoy the consciousness of it that can. But for my mother's sake, and mine, I would do more than for my own. But to appear happy when I am so miserable, oh, who can require it? Again, they were both silent. Eleanor was employed in walking thoughtfully from the fire to the window, from the window to the fire, without knowing that she received warmth from one, or discerning objects through the other. And Marianne, seated at the foot of the bed, with her head leaning against one of its posts, again took up Willoughby's letter, and, after shuddering over every sentence, exclaimed, "'It is too much! Oh, Willoughby, Willoughby!' Could this be yours? Cruel, cruel. Nothing can acquit you. Eleanor, nothing can. Whatever he might have heard against me, ought he not to have suspended his disbelief? Ought he not to have told me of it? To have given me the power of clearing myself? The lock of hair, repeating it from the letter, which you so obligingly bestowed on me. That is unpardonable, Willoughby. 
Where was your heart when you wrote those words? Oh, barbarously insolent. Eleanor, can he be justified? No, Marianne, in no possible way. And yet this woman, who knows what her art may have been, how long it may have been premeditated, and how deeply contrived by her. Who is she? Who can she be? Whom did I ever hear him talk of as young and attractive among his female acquaintance? Oh, no one, no one. He talked to me only of myself. And another pause ensued. Marianne was greatly agitated, and it ended thus. Eleanor, I must go home. I must go and comfort Mamma. Cannot we be gone tomorrow? Tomorrow, Marianne. Yes. Why should I stay here? I came only for Willoughby's sake. And now, who cares for me? Who regards me? It would be impossible to go tomorrow. We owe Mrs. Jennings much more than civility, and civility of the commonest kind must prevent such a hasty removal as that. Well, then, another day or two, perhaps. But I cannot stay here long. I cannot stay to endure the questions and remarks of all these people, the Middletons and the Palmers. How am I to bear their pity? The pity of such a woman as Lady Middleton. Oh, what would he say to that? Eleanor advised her to lie down again, and for a moment she did so. But no attitude could give her ease, and in restless pain of mind and body she moved from one posture to another, still growing more and more hysterical. Her sister could with difficulty keep her on the bed at all, and for some time was fearful of being constrained to call for assistance. Some lavender drops, however, which he was at length persuaded to take, were of use, and from that time till Mrs. Jennings returned, she continued on the bed, quiet and motionless. Thank you for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. This is the latest book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Other selections include Pride and Prejudice, Sunshine Sketches of a Little Town, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Vanity Fair, Showboat, Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, and The Woman in White. You can help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.